just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Before I introduce today's guest, let's see her in action. I was at the OBGYN office because I had had a pregnancy scare, which is weird because I'm 51 years old and at this point I would be giving birth to my own grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the reason we had a pregnancy scare is because a condom broke. And we have been using condoms for uh, 20 years now because at some point I decided that this was the National Park Service. (laughs) Carry in, carry out. One of them had just given up the fight. It didn't survive. And you find out who you are as a human when you have a pregnancy scare. Because I thought I was a born-again Christian, Republican, pro-life woman. But what I said was, get me a plan B right now! So obviously I'm going to hell. But it turns out that I was not pregnant. I am going into menopause. And I know that in this room we've got women who are going into menopause, women who are in menopause, women who have gone through menopause. And so I'll share a little, like, here's how I think this goes. So all women are born with all of the eggs that they are ever going to have. They come with you as part of the set. And so they also come with a carrier, uh, a, a, a maintenance person, if you will. We call her Aunt Flo. So when you reach the age that you are ready to procreate, Aunt Flo takes one of her lovely tended eggs and puts it in your uterus and says, go forth and procreate. But we're like 12. So, So we do not in fact go forth and procreate, and this makes her very mad. She's like, you are wasting that and that's what she says. And on the outside, we're like, cut me off in traffic again, motherfucker! <laughs> and then she gets really sad. She's like, I don't have that many eggs. What are we going to do? And what are we doing on the outside? We're like, did you see the video of the little girl who gave somebody a flower? Like, <laughs> And then at 47, Aunt Flo turns around and she looks and she goes, oh, we 
a lot left over. Here's a dozen. <laughs> but then everything is times 12, right? Including the bleeding. So now we can't do anything. We can't wear white. We can't leave the house for more than two hours. We're like, oh, I'm leaking. Oh, I think I'm leaking. Oh, I think I'm leaking. Now I'm definitely leaking. <laughs> right? And if, you, and if you're wearing span, if you're wearing Spanx, your ass will create a tunnel and it will just funnel right Welcome back to the show. It's a really good, going to be a really good episode today. And I'm continuing in this theme of humor in presentations and comedy in presentations. I'm lucky enough to have a guest with me today who has artfully married two of her passions in life, something that she was expertly working in and stand-up comedy and made them fit very nicely together. Someone who has trained women for over 13 years in how to how to understand their bodies and pleasure, have pleasure in their lives and in their bedrooms and to marry that up with stand-up comedy. Well, how did that end up happening? Let's find out from our guest today, Raylene Toskoski. Hi, Raylene, welcome to the show. Hey, John, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Tripping over my tongue a little bit today, but we'll get through it. So, so welcome. Thank you for thank you for coming and agreeing to be a guest on the show. And when we had a chat a little while ago, I was fascinated by your story that uh, you were working in a job already that you were you were enjoying, right? I mean, you were already. Uh, loving what you do and educating women, but uh, you also had a real passion for stand-up. Tell, tell us a little more, bit more about your story. So I, like you said, have been in direct sales for 13 years, and I did in-home parties for adult women, right? So there's many companies out there that do that. I was uh, in one company, and every time I would do one of my parties, people would say, you should be a stand-up comic. Just, not just from the the jokes because we all have jokes, but I've got pretty good timing too. And I'm pretty, um, I have good facials and, uh, I'm physical. Like I move a lot and it makes people laugh. And, but I had tried comedy when I was 27 and it just, it's scary. Stand-up comedy is scary. It is a very, we make it look easy, but it's not, it's terrifying. And, um, so I was like, no, 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 I'm not a comedian. I'm not going to do that. And I was working with a business coach and my business coach said, what is your favorite part of the party? And I said, my favorite part of the party is when they're laughing so hard, they can't breathe. They're peeing themselves they're getting migraines and they're like coughing from laughing. That's literally my favorite thing. And she said, well, what about the shopping room when you're like getting the products that are going to make their lives better and that are right for them. And, you know, she's like into that side of it. And I was like, no, if I could just like finish the party, mic drop and walk out, that would be perfect. And she says, well, then you need to go do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I said, I'm, I tried it when I was 27. I did it for three weeks. It was scary. I'm not going to do that. And she said, well, you paid me a lot of money to be my, your business coach. So you should probably take my advice. And I went out and found an open mic and I went 
and I said, I'm going to do this Facebook Live so you all can just see that I do not belong on a stage. I'm funny in a living room. I used to tell people I'm a great sit-down comic, not a stand-up comic. I can sit down with you, and I can make you pee yourself and have a great time, but if you put me on stage with a microphone, it's not as funny. So I did Facebook Live. I went up. I did five minutes, and it was basically I took it right out of my demo, but I took the sales piece out of it and just you know, turned it into the comedy. So, you know, when you're selling, you have to tell a story. So I would tell the, the story of why things were bad, which made them laugh. And then I would tell the product of what would solve the problem. So in this case, I just did the stories of what was bad. And I got off stage and there were all these comedians and I had met them on the way in. And I was like, yeah, it's my first time. I'm super nervous and blah, blah, blah. And I get off and the one guy's like, no, but really, where did you come from? And I'm like, no, I swear to God. Um, before I got home from the show, I had 1,200 views. And within a week, I had 7,500 views on that Facebook Live. And I had been booked on two comedy shows. That's amazing. Really amazing. Uh, right. So that but felt pretty good, right? It felt really good. But I was still nervous on stage. To this day, having a microphone in my hand is horrible. I hate it. Um, but I, ha I had a thing I was going to say. <laughs> I forgot what it was. I'm worried. Oh, but comedy doesn't pay. It doesn't pay well at all. And selling sex toys pays very well. And yeah. so, and they're usually the same nights. Comedy shows are Fridays and Saturdays and toy parties usually Fridays and Saturdays. And so I kind of just let it go. And every now and then somebody would remember me and be like, hey, want to be on my show? And I'd like, sure, I'd go do the show, make maybe 50 bucks, and then just go back to doing my parties because my parties pay my bills. Right. Um, and then one night, I was laying in bed and I was stressed out. I think about money or I don't even remember what it was, but I couldn't sleep. And I have this rule that if I can't sleep for more than like 20 minutes, if I'm tossing and turning, I'm just going to get up and go do something because it's a waste of time. And I got up and I had bought the book. You are a badass at making money by Jen Sincero. And I went in the living room and I turned on the light and I just opened the book and it was like the entire universe just went, Oh, right up into my face and it said why aren't you combining the two things that you love and you're good at and making one thing out of it and I had parked the domain standupcomedysexed.com like two three years ago and I had no idea why and then I was like yeah that's it I'm just gonna take the party that I love to do and I'm very comfortable at and I love to educate because there's a lot of education and I'm going to mix my stand-up comedy, which is slightly more naughty mm -hmm. and not appropriate for a corporate, you know, thing. Right, yeah. And yeah. I'm going to mix them together. And I made stand-up comedy sex ed. Great. Makes sense. It all fits together very nicely. So now you're selling sex toys at your comedy gigs. Is that what's happening now? I haven't gone that far yet. Okay. Uh, what I'm, what I'm really doing is so the company that I work with is ladies only. We could only have ladies at our parties. Right. So the first part that was scary for me is that when I started doing stand-up comedy sex ed, this is no longer a party. This is an event that I'm doing as a comedian. I just happen to be talking about their products. Yeah. Uh, I haven't figured out, but it was also open to men and women at this point. So my first part is I was nervous how men would handle my comedy because I'd only ever had women and women thought I was hysterical. 
Right. Uh, but then at the comedy shows, the guys awful were also would be like, that was uh, the one, the time, the first time I had a guy tell me I was so funny. He almost peed himself. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I didn't even know that happened to men. Like, I oh, really yeah. thought that was a ladies only thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. Um, and so at some point, I think everything you do when you're speaking has to lead to something else that's also money making. You know, like you speak and then you sell a class or you sell a something. I would like to eventually sell product at the shows, but also I'm enjoying not selling at the shows, just giving the information. Yeah. So at some point I will have to figure out a way that I can incorporate the sales into it. Cause I, it's same thing at the parties. I don't want to just give them a ton of information and then be like, okay, good luck. Go find that stuff. You know, I want them to be able to get it that night so they can take it home and enjoy it. Cause they've just had this experience as a couple. They've just had a conversation. They've both heard the same information and I want them to be able to take home some products, but I just haven't figured out a way that I want that. I'm going to do that yet. I'm sure you will. And uh, and I'm sure it's very doable. And uh, I can already think of a few possibilities, but you may may have already have thought of them yourself. But I'm sure you'll figure out the right way to make that happen. And and it would make sense that, uh, that you can do that. But um, are you also getting feedback that because men and women are, and maybe couples in your audience are there that they are having that conversation or that that is allowing them to talk and be more open with each other about their sex lives. Uh, is that really helping people as well? It really is. The, the feedback is that people are being able to have conversations about things that are traditionally uncomfortable to bring up. Right. But if you've just been to a comedy show where the person is talking about the problems and the solutions and then they're in the car on the way home and one of them will say, hey, what did you think about what she said about X or what she said about Y? And I had a friend who came to the one of my shows and she brought a guy that she had just met on like Tinder or something. Right. And they'd been on one or two dates. And so this was like their third date to come to this show. And she said it was great because we got to get all the sex talk out of the way right up front. Like, what are you into? What are you not into? Like, you know, she got to see what his sense, you know, that he enjoyed the sense of humor that she also enjoyed. And she, she was like, it was kind of like accelerated the dating process to the important part. <laughs> <laughs> so they got, they got a heads up and, uh, and that probably really helped them. I mean, one of the most uh, important pieces in relationships and probably in people's sex lives as well is communication. And right. so many people aren't very good at communicating what they want or how they like it. And they've been, and for many reasons, often raised with a lot of shame around talking or even about these kinds of things and uh, owning their sexuality. There's a, a big issue for many people and still a very taboo subject. So you're, right. you're, doing great work by enabling those conversations to be had more and to help people enjoy their lives together more and maybe even their lives by themselves as well. Exactly. It's not right. I talk about all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is fantastic. So in terms of, in terms of moving through from, from one thing to the, to the other, you know, that some of the people listening will definitely relate more with there being a presenter side of, perhaps what we're talking about than the stand-up comedy side. And I think a lot of people do have terror about the very idea of humor. And uh, so 
you said it's like from from things that have come up, but where where do you generally find the humor in life yourself? Like what are the kind of things that you look out for? You find more of an observational or you actually tell stories about what you've seen or heard? How how does that come about for you? Man, I wish that I could figure out where it comes from because I would like to do more of it. I've got a couple of different bits that are in my show that literally came out of my mouth fully formed at a party where somebody would say something and then I would just riff on it and the riff would leave us all just dying with laughter. And I'd be like, okay, that needs to go on my show. That happened before I even had a show. Like I would be like, that was hysterical. I'm going to do it again at the next party, the next party, you know, like, and in some, in some cases, like specifically one that I'm thinking of, it was one that I could only use with certain crowds because it was, it was really a little bit more naughty, but it was more naughty because it came out when I was just at a party with girls who were naughty. And I just kept, you know, tagging and, you know, just building and building and building until everybody was in hysterics. And I was like, I freaking love my job. (laughs) there were other ones and and so many people like how do you write i'm like i don't write they just pop they just pop out and it's frustrating because if i could figure out how to just make that happen um i've got a bit on menopause that you can see on youtube and it came out fully formed that night like i mean i've added some things to it since but it was literally just a moment where we were talking about menopause and i was like hey this is what i think and then in that small setting, the more they would laugh, the more I would tag, the more they would laugh and then I would tag and then they would laugh and then they would tag. And I was like, Holy Jesus. I so just, you're, you're kind of like the, the Mrs. Maisel of sex education. Huh? <laughs> it, could, it could be, <laughs> it could be. It, so, yeah. You just, she just grabs a microphone and starts riffing and then the stuff comes yeah. out. I mean, when, but when you're talking about stand-up comedy and you see in one of those little montages where she takes a joke and then the next day she does it a little different. And the next day she does it a little different until it comes this, then it becomes tightened up. And that's really how it happens. But she starts with something that she's thinking of. And yeah. for me, a lot of times I don't even know I'm thinking of it. It just, it's just there all of a sudden. And I'm like, catch it, catch it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a thing that comes from like years of experience or something. And like you've been working, you, you say you work in your job for like 13 plus years. Yeah. So, so, I mean, um, there's the Malcolm Gladwell idea of like 10,000 hours of doing something makes you a natural expert where you don't really have to think about it. I know it's like I've been doing coaching work and uh, trainings for all that time as well. And I can do that stuff more or less off the top of my head. I can improv it and riff it and it's not, not usually so funny, but, uh, but you know, <laughs> in a similar kind of way, it's like I don't have to think very hard about it. The stuff flows fairly naturally for me. Um, even in like certain situations, where I've been asked to give an improv speech, I can do it. And um, you know, I can put together a presentation off the top of my head because I've been doing it for so long. And it's going to be a, perhaps something, a version of something I've done before or perhaps something totally new that just comes to me in that moment. But I know how to structure this stuff naturally. I have a pretty good layout for it, what I do there. And, and I'm sensing it's a similar kind of thing for you. And also you're, like, you're figuring out all the time what works, what doesn't work. So it, it's, it's still a work in progress as you start to, uh, start to come up with the stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of why the parties are still my main I don't want to stop doing parties because the parties is where I'm the most natural. So 
the, the night before, or I guess maybe the week before I had my epiphany, I had done a show on stage with a microphone and it was a good show. And I like it, I got my laughs and, but I still, like I said to my, I was just like, ah, there's something. And then the next night, cause it was, that was a Thursday. And then Friday I did a party and I'm doing the party and I am in it. And I am like face to face with the people and I'm making them laugh. And I came up with another bit, which I just remembered because I haven't actually done that one in a while. And I should put it back into my show. Um, and I thought, I said to myself on the way home from that party, I'm like, why am I never as comfortable on stage as I am when I'm just here in front of the people? Mm-hmm. And I think that's when my brain started to put it together. It's like, because I've been doing, at that point, I've been doing the parties for nine years. It's because I could do those with my eyes closed. Yeah. I didn't even have to think about my parties. They're literally just memorized with some ad lib here and there. And that's when I decided to push. That's when my brain was like, okay, then why aren't we just doing it? Do what you already do. I already know how to do a party. I already know how to educate these people. I know, I already know how to put the funny in the sales part of it. I already love these products. I love the education. I love that I'm sending people home with products that are going to change their lives. So my brain was just like, so why don't you just push them together? That way you can do both. Did you, when, so if you think back to when you first started doing the parties, was that already pretty natural, natural for you from the start? Or was that something that maybe took a little while to, to develop as you got more comfortable with it? This is an easy question to answer. I was terrified when I started. Right. Now, I am not afraid of public speaking. It's just not a thing that, you know, um, obviously I get nervous right before I go on stage or something, but I've always been like, I, I public speaking classes, stuff like that. It does not terrify me the way it terrifies other people, sure. but I didn't know anything about this product. So when I started, I had no toys, no lubes, no heighteners, no cleaners, no laundry, also no complaints. But I, when I decided I wanted to do this, I didn't know anything. So I took, do you remember back in the day, the old um, PowerPoint notebooks where they would, they were like a little tripod and you would print out your PowerPoint and you would flip the pages, yeah. right? So I did one of those for myself. And on the front, it would have the product so that the customers could see it. And on the back, it would have the joke I was supposed to tell about it. And every time I would get new products or make new jokes, I would take it in the house and I would put in the new slides and then I would put it back in the car and take it to my next party. On my six month party, because I remember the exact house I was at, I bent over to pull my PowerPoint thing out and put it on the table and it was not in the bag. Right. I had left it at home. And I remember saying to myself, it's been six months. You either know it or you don't. And so I turned around and I'm, I've been saying it for years and years and years. That was the day that I got good. The day that I got off script was the day that I started to just relax into it. And that's when I started to get that, you know, that feedback, that feeling that I was doing good, that I knew what I was doing, that I knew I was funny. Like if there was no other reason to have a party with me, if you weren't going to buy anything, if you were not injured, it was because I was funny. You know, people would say, do you play games? No, I'm funny. You're getting a comedy show. (laughs) Do you do this? No, I'm funny. Yeah. The reason your friends recommended me is because I'm funny. I'm not adding a bunch of extra yahoos in. I don't give away a lot of free product because it costs me money. 
but I'm going to make you laugh. And, and that was kind of the contract with them. I was like, I will show up and make you laugh. You laugh. That's how it works. (laughs) That's really uh, an important part because the, the script for you, like the pictures and the script pointers were a crutch that you were, that you were leaning on because you didn't actually trust yourself. And then you somehow, I mean, maybe even unconsciously put yourself in that situation. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it was just a a happy accident. But it pushed you to have to trust yourself and uh, to just go for it anyway. You could have made the decision not to, but you're right. After six months of doing it, you pretty much should know what you're doing. And and it's the same for a lot of speakers. People people who get up onto a stage who aren't used to speaking or presenting, you get up there with all your notes. So it's like you are already nervous and, and people will assume the fact that you have notes with you probably means that you're really nervous and you think you're going to forget what you're talking about or that you are worried that you suck. I mean, it's, it's all setting yourself up for uh, a not very good presentation or, or not the best you could do. And you know, even one of the things they say in, in public speaking, in Toastmasters and, and other places, uh, some of the good advice is, memorize the start of what you're going to say and memorize the end of what you say and know what's in your mid content well enough to be able to improvise it because really you you only need to have your strong close and your strong finish and whatever comes up in between you'll figure it out that's really good advice yeah so i think we talked about it a little bit before but i also have a i have two things i have my stand-up comedy sex ed but then i also have a keynote uh, slash TEDx talk that su- was supposed to be happening in November, but right, we did COVID has now closed that yeah. down. Uh, and it's a much more, it's a much more serious talk. It's not a, it's not a comedy talk, but it does have comedy in it because I'm just not capable of not having moments of levity. That's a good and, thing. That's part of who you are, right? So. Yeah. It's, I tried to write it as serious as possible, but then when I started saying it out loud, I was like, ding, add a tag, you know, to <laughs> kind of bring the, the level up. And it's about um, the importance of those parties. And it's called, let's talk about sex, the value of open, honest discussions about women's sexual health. It's a really long title. I don't know how to make it any shorter, but it's literally conversations that I've had with women who have gone to the parties and the difference that it made in their life by just having that conversation, mm. by making it, like you said, not uh, shameful or uh, I don't remember the word you use, but it's not something that people talk about. And so by being able to talk about it or by hearing me talk about it and then having their friends, you know, interact with me, it, it opened up their mind. And there's been so many really in, important stories over the years. Uh, and so I've got that talk and it's the same, it's a serious talk, but it's got some comedy in it to keep people from crying. Yeah. <laughs> In in the UK where I'm from, it's actually illegal for people to discuss their sex lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it seems like it at least. People just don't do it, and uh, and they're very very quickly embarrassed. But but I do I do think you know sometimes in terms of um, prudishness that uh, that the US has a lot more. That like, I sort of think well, oh, people sure. kind of think that that. The English, particularly, are sort of still still living in Victorian times, and uh, and that we still have sort of Victorian values, and it's really not the case. We have progressed quite a lot past that, but but um, in general, U.S. values seem to be very 
very prudish. And and do, yeah. do you get any pushback uh, from from the morality police, as it were? No, not yeah. not. I think uh, honestly, I think the people who are getting pushback are inviting the pushback. Like they're already like for instance, there's a story of a woman. Uh, and I was at a training and I said, so tell me what you do, because that's the first thing that you have to train a consultant to do is say what she does. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, so tell me what you do. And she goes, Oh, like I, um, I have a catalog and we talk about some, uh, we talk about some toys and we talk about lubricate, like read it. And I was like, uh, I'm uncomfortable listening to you. Like, I don't know what it is that you're trying to tell me, but you are obviously uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So you're making me uncomfortable with it. And so she's like, all right, I'll work on it. So she went back, sat down a little while later. She came up to me and she said, you know what? I have this funny story. I have this friend and she doesn't want to talk about sex at all, but I went ahead and for her birthday, I gave her, uh, a bottle of lubricant and some other stuff. And let me preface this by saying she's a little bit older than where we are. Okay. So she's maybe mid sixties. Mm-hmm. And she says, um, so I gave her a bottle of lube and some other stuff in her birthday basket. And then I went out to dinner with her and her husband and I went in the bathroom. We were in the bathroom and I said, so, so what did you think of that? Uh, the lube that I gave you? And she says, my husband says it's the garage door opener and he wishes that we had gotten it a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, now you're selling me a product. Now you're telling me what you do. You have got to come at it with the confidence that you are benefiting people. This is not something to be ashamed of. This is not something to be embarrassed about. This is a good thing. So if you're coming at it as you're embarrassed and you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to, then, then people are going to feel that from you and they're going to push it back at you. And in the beginning, I was kind of like that. I, I would, I didn't know exactly, but after I think three months, which is actually where my Ted talk starts, I started to realize the value of what I was doing and I stopped being embarrassed about it. One more funny story. I was going into the post office one day because I have to ship the product and Um, I open the door for this little old lady who's coming out and she looks at me and she looks at my car and she looks at me again and she goes, you, and I said, me, she goes, you, you are that sex lady. (laughs) Like what? She goes, you, you're that sex lady. You sell the sex stuff. And, and I said, well, I mean, I educate women about their bodies. Is that a bad thing? And she says, no. And I said, and I help women have better sex lives with their partners. Is that a bad thing? And she says, no. And, and I said, I help people have orgasms. Is that a bad thing? She says, no. And I said, so are we good? And she goes, no, you're the sex lady. And she walked out the door, got her car, and drove away. And I was just like, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it didn't bother me. I was amused and not offended. Uh, I, I, you know, every now and then somebody will say something and I'm just like, I do the Southern thing and, uh, uh bless your heart. You must <laughs> not be having orgasms. You poor thing. Like I just, I have no tolerance for it anymore. Yeah. When I was newer and younger, I, I, I would spend 
you know, I would try to get to know why I was bought, why they were upset by it. And now I'm just like, get, go, go off with your bad self. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, I, I generally like to go along with the um, belief that other people's opinion of you is, is none of your business. Right. And also, if your opinion is not paying my bill, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard that somewhere before. Uh, yeah, I absolutely would agree with that as well. So don't don't listen to opinions from people who who you wouldn't ask for their opinion. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just it just makes sense. But yeah, there, there's always people out there who are willing to criticize. And it's like one of those things that whatever you do, uh, there's going to be some form of criticism along the way. But one of the biggest things that holds anyone back in any industry or public speaking comedy or anything is the fear of what other people think of them it's always going to keep you small and and so wherever you are we have to work on overcoming that and uh, and i do think really the only way to overcome it is to just get out there and do your stuff do do it how you want to and then when that stuff comes up you may have to work on dealing with it but you'll get through it and you'll be okay on the other side and You'll be you will be a hundred percent better off for it. I agree. That's my my general belief in all this. But it's interesting you said about the TED talk because um, that's a big thing as well. And you say like doing um, doing stand up comedy is scary enough, and uh, and I know for myself, you know the the idea of getting on stage trying to deliver a stand-up comedy routine off the top of my head that does terrify me but <laughs> um but the um i mean I, with practice with a bit of time to work on some material i would be willing to go for it but uh, but for most people that is one of the most terrifying things and and people steer away from it this is one of the big reasons why i'm doing this whole series within the podcast is because a lot of presenters and public speakers try and avoid comedy a lot of people who teach this stuff try and avoid humor because it's hard to teach unless you are actually experienced in it and uh, and so it gets left on the side and i think that's even to a degree why why is maybe this idea that ted talks are all serious and yet the most popular ted talk i think of all time is one of the funniest and with the sadly recently deceased uh, ken robinson who uh, talked about education but that's an absolutely hilarious talk and um you know it's a serious topic but i think people get stuff a lot more when you add the humor into the mix is like it breaks down some barriers and people learn a lot when when there's humor as well you see it being used in uh, news channels kind of like news channels like comedy news programs yeah that those things have really shot to prominence and what what is it that that you think um humor allows us to do that that means that it has so much influence on us well i just i just thought of this right this second a roller coaster would be no fun if it stayed at the same level the whole time yeah. or if it just stayed down the whole time so all talks should have some levity and some gravity so that people stay on the ride right so if it's all sad 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 uh or serious 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 people can get into like a funk and they're not going to come out of your, your talk and be, you know, happy and have, you know, I don't want anybody going out, but also there's some things where if it's all comedy, then it's a comedy show and they're not really paying attention. They're just laughing. There is nothing greater, no greater feeling I believe than when you are crying 
or on the verge of crying and somebody says something that makes you laugh so hard mm-hmm. that it pulls you back up. So the moment, it's not that it takes away from the moment of gravity, but it pulls you back up and it lets you laugh and cry at the same time, which I feel like is one of the best sensations ever because you know you've been touched on both sides. So I would say don't, don't ever try to steer away from comedy, but make sure that whatever you're saying has a has such a different impact or truthfulness to it truthfulness yeah. i think is where i'm going make sure it's true yeah. i uh, think that, that stuff's important and interestingly i mean i guess a lot of comedy is storytelling and, and i was lucky enough to have on the show a while back uh, an amazing storyteller called matthew dix uh, and he's someone who has won the moth story slam i think 48 times at least i know he was going for his 49th event last time i spoke to him and uh, and has won the grand slam in the u.s uh, six times so he's an incredible storyteller and he has an amazing book about telling stories and this is these are some of the things that he talks about and i get that there's a lot of crossover and some of his stories are quite funny as well although he's not i don't think he uh, Uh, purports himself to be a stand-up comedian but I'm pretty sure he could if he turned his hand to it but one of the things that he was saying which I think is coming up here as well is is this contrast idea Uh, and what he said when he's constructing a story to go for maximum impact you'll have people laughing for a while and then slam them with a big event like something major because that contrast of emotion is like uh is like actually uh, have almost a physical impact yeah such a powerful effect and this is a similar kind of thing like you're talking about serious stuff and then a bit of levity a massive contrast but it, it changes that how we feel about it right yeah that and that's that's kind of a, those are so much better words to say what i was trying to say because i'm just <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know if it's better words. It's just a, diff, a different way of saying it. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm hopefully more copying his words because he yeah. did it very well in, in his book. But um, this is really all the thing of telling stories. And um, I'm, I'm currently reading a book which is all about uh, about con artists. <laughs> this shouldn't be necessarily be directly relevant. It's just interesting to me. It's, part <laughs> of one, it's one of my fascination areas. Like one of the series that I have within my show is like the dark side of influence and persuasion. So that's why I'm particularly interested in like. Um, the so it's content. not a learner's manual, is what you're saying. <laughs> it's, it's not, no, no, no. It's not. It's not so I can learn how to do it for myself. It's uh, to understand how these things work because there are like psychologists and the likes who've been teaching these sorts of skills uh, in the last. 15, 20 years, I guess, uh, maybe certainly in the last ten that I'm aware of, but um, that many of these things have been used for centuries by uh, by con artists and people who like to (laughs) rip off other people so understanding more about this is always really powerful and interestingly enough one of the things that was coming up is that the one of the most powerful elements of the con is the story oh yeah that it's the narrative that you that you get brought into it and uh, and it's those personal stories particularly that uh, that really have us connecting and believing um people as well and i think that a lot of that it, not all comedy is story based i guess but a lot of that does come through in comedy and in and in these even in some of these sort of topical comedy news shows there is a story narrative to a lot of it that uh, that i think pulls us in very well 
and and does keep us a bit more alert like you say like new shows and stuff it's all just like one sort of level it's like your uh, disaster porn or um outrage <laughs> machine isn't it so i mean you, you know what you're getting there whereas mixing in some laughter and being entertained while well, you're kind of being told about things that are really uh, outrageous or uh, horrific injustices um it seems like it shouldn't be entertaining uh, and it, in itself it's not but the this ability that we need to have to be able to laugh about things um is part of our coping mechanism i think mm-hmm. agreed is how, agreed. how we sort of um deal with some of the difficult things and, and so your area particularly like sex and sex education um is what many people would consider a difficult area and this is uh, almost like a coping mechanism, a managing mechanism that opens up the door. And op- uh, I should be careful yeah. using that reference after your comment earlier, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, it at least starts starts that conversation going, and uh, uh, is more of a social lubricant than a sexual. Yeah, lubricant. Well, a sexual it really well. it really is because yeah. I've seen at the parties, uh, you know, women will come in and they'll they'll say you know they will they will sometimes they'll just physically say i'm uncomfortable i'm only here because my friends made me be here i don't want to do this you know um i remember i had done a party once and the lady said uh, i'm not gonna buy anything i'm only here because it's my house and i let my friend use it i am not interested in any of this at all and then when i was done she was like me first me first me first and she spent like two hundred dollars <laughs> and i was like <laughs> and it it's not that the products don't exist and it, it it's that how people are educated about it and how a story can open up their mind. Mm. And you're right about the comedy, like storytelling. So I'm hundred percent a storytelling comedian. I don't have one liners, um, which is difficult because now a lot of comedy has gone online yeah. and there's all these contests and stuff, but they're like, you get one minute. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I can have an amusing setup, like my setups are good. My setups are funny. Everybody is laughing, but you need to let me get to the two and a half minute mark to get the punchline, which will push everybody over the edge. Like, and so it's been rough for me because, you know, you're, you're either getting the punchline without the, the, the benefit of the setup or you're just mm-hmm. getting the setup. Whereas when I did a, an actual physical comedy show last week, I made it to the next round, whereas I'm not making them in the online ones because they're not giving me enough time to get there. Because I, because yeah. I'm a storyteller. Well, you might you might do better with uh, with something like the moth, which that which uh, Matthew told me they're doing online at the moment. Uh, they're doing some online events and stuff. But you get, um, I think you get five minutes for your for your story there. And uh, he has said that uh, a lot of comedians do very well in those competitions as well. And I think that is exactly because of the the storytelling elements. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd never even heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I I was not overly familiar with it. I had heard of it, that it was really a case of uh, I I read probably at least two audiobooks uh, a month. Usually actually ends up being four or five. But um, one of them, I I just saw saw this book for Storyworthy and and downloaded it and absolutely fell in love with it. And I've I've got several other books on storytelling as well. And because I'm putting together a workshop for my Toastmasters group about that, um, then I just sort of developed on that line. But uh, but interestingly, 
um, having had the conversations with with the author and, and getting these understandings and from the conversation with you as well and then thinking about how to structure that story and having those contrasts in there and having some humor in it and, and mainly it's sort of self-deprecating humor and that was a story about uh, Valentine's Day when I was 21 years old and it's a it's a horror story to be honest though and it's uh, it's <laughs> probably closer probably closer to Carrie than anything else but uh, but you know it's a uh, but I'm but I'm sort of saving the impact of what actually happened until the very end of that story, and uh, yeah, it's uh, but that that's only because I've learned from prose <laughs> how that, that that's something that's going to have a much bigger impact to do that. Yeah, once you hit the big impact, the only thing left is tags. Yeah, it's hard to come back into the story after you've gotten such a big laugh. But I have been watching a lot of comedy like online and and I noticed like we had said earlier about the the roller coaster mm. that they'll get a big laugh and then they'll let it come down a little bit and then they'll get a big laugh and then they'll let it come down a little bit and I think it's so the the audience has a chance to breathe and to and to buy back into what you're saying and so it's what I'm listening to or what I'll do is I'll I'll pull my my uh, audio into one of the things that I'll look at the peaks and I'm like oh there's not that many you know peaks between here and here and then I'll go listen to it I'm like yeah that's where you're doing a build-up and you need but you had look at all these peaks you had and then there was a build-up and there's peaks you had so don't forget about it yeah so uh, that is really important now any present any presentation that you do you know I think uh, professional presentation teachers will always say to you don't keep it at one level don't make it too data heavy and stories are a great way whether they're funny or not stories are a great way to to move beyond that but uh, but having this uh, um, almost a rhythm to it right I mean there is a certain rhythm to comedy and like you said about how important timing is uh, you mentioned tags what what do you mean by tags <clears throat> tags are things that you add on after the main um, after the main joke and they're and they're things that just help keep that laughter going. It's not they're they're as so you hit your let's just say I've got a joke that I <clears throat> I have this joke that I tell about my breasts, right? and and I and I say I go through everything and then I end it with you know if there was a toddler running around this room and I was not wearing a bra, it could just you know nip up and right like I was a hamster in a wheel. And child would be fed. And then everybody's <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, it would be powdered milk. But it was, and then everybody laughs again. So it's just a tag that adds on to what the, the main point was. The main point was funny enough by itself. Yeah, yeah. But then you have something else that you can throw after it. Right. And now that you explain that, yeah, I'm aware of having seen comedians use that a uh, uh, number of times. Yeah. So that, that's a, a really good part. Now, and, and something, something that I'm... Um, Again, not necessarily consciously aware of it. I know comedians do it, and I said it's like, yeah, of course. But if I was putting together a comedy act, I wouldn't have thought about that. You know, I wouldn't be, right. add that stuff onto the humor. And yet, in a natural, naturally humorous conversation, and I'm much like yourself, I think I'm one of those people that when I'm very comfortable or when I'm in a, uh, I like to entertain my friends. And I yes. like to be that cheeky guy who makes everyone laugh or comes up with the totally inappropriate stuff that has everyone sort of falling off the seats. Um, but no, I don't like to be offensive to people, ever, but I do like to have everybody in, in stitches. And, um, and so, yeah, it's that 
uh, those things come naturally then like you'll say something and then the next bit will come and the next bit will come and that that is a natural flow do you have to work on putting yourself into that sort of state that flow state if you like before you hit the stage well the weird thing is that tag came during a live show right like i Never thought of it before. I, you know, that the end of the joke is, you know, that they're long enough that a kid could hamster drink off of them. And then just out of nowhere, and I was like, it would be powdered milk, and everybody died. And then I was like, okay, it's a tag. So ideally, you would love to be able to build the tags. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't write the same other, other people write. I mean, I wish I could just sit down, write out a bit, and be like, oh, that'll be funny if I say that. That'll be funny if I say that it's really more of the in the moment where I'm there and my brain's like, oh, oh, oh. and it's like you said, you're sitting around with your friends and you just think of things to keep the laughter going. And that's why I think that it works so well when I'm in my, I don't want to call it like my world, like mm-hmm. what I am fully present and enjoying and feeding and feeling um, the tags come naturally to me. Because when I try to make up a tag ahead of time, it always falls flat. So now I just, I don't know. I really wish I could just sit down and write. I think I would have a much more longer show now. Well, I think like anything, um, we can all do these things, but uh, we, we prefer our more natural ways of doing things. But the only way to get better at other methodologies of doing stuff is to practice them and, and get good at them as well. So, you know, I, I have no doubt you could do that, um, but it's not your more preferred style of coming up with stuff. So uh, it would be it would be an addition to that too. Um, but I'm, I'm aware that, like, for myself, I, I know the situations where I think, where I think I'm funny at least, people, people are laughing, so I, I assume that that's okay. <laughs> I assume that they're laughing with me. And, not uh, at and you. Not at me. Uh, but I'm good either way, really. And um, so... I know that I'm relaxed in those situations and that makes it much easier to be funny. Uh, and I, and I'm very aware as well. Like um, when I, when I do maybe some improvised humorous moments in presentations, I don't do stand up comedy performances, but I do presentations and I like to make people laugh still in that or have some moments in it that aren't necessarily jokes, but are at least humorous and entertaining. Um, that, I find that easier when I'm relaxed as well. But the more that I do that, the more relaxed I feel. Maybe it's because I feel like they're laughing and like I might not be necessarily laughing out loud along with them because I know the jokes I'm coming up with them. But um, but I'm still kind of laughing as well. It relaxes me more. Do, do you feel that, that the more you get the laughter, you relax into it and it's easier to get funnier yes. as well? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I will tell you, um, I did a comedy show once and... Uh, I, it was, I had a cold. I'm going to preface this by saying I have a cold and then I'll finish off with telling you why it was so bad. Uh, I went up on stage and I was, um, it was the first time I was ever hosting a comedy show. And so you have to do 15 minutes and then you introduce the first comic and then you go up and introduce the comics until it's all over. Mm -hmm. It was the seventh game of the world series where the Cubs won. I don't know if that means anything to you over in England, but it was very popular over here in the United States. So there's a 300 person audience, uh, state room. There's 14 people in the audience, Mm -hmm. right? So there's nobody there. And I had taken a Benadryl before I left the house (laughs) And I did not know at that point that Benadryl for me is a mind eraser. 
And it also made me very, very thirsty. So I was up on stage. It was the longest hour and a half of my life. It only took 15 minutes. It felt like an hour and a half. And it was awful. And the the next time I went back to the club, the guy who runs it, he goes, hey, I heard you had a mental breakdown at the last show. And I'm like, no, I had a Benadryl. It's not my fault. And so I have learned... I don't care if I'm dying. Do not take anything before you go on stage. Uh, good advice. Because I was advice. never comfortable. Yes, yes. Uh, another thing that I do on my personal shows, when I do a stand-up comedy sex ed show, it's a wireless hand-free mic. Uh-huh. Because I figured out that the microphone makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but for some reason, being on stage with a microphone is less comfortable for me than being on the same level as people. Yeah. Uh, or my favorite though is black box where I'm on the bottom and they're all above me. And okay. I get, that's just my, so far my comfort level. So my, oh, I'm trying you. to make me more comfortable with a microphone on the stage. Cause yeah, yeah. not everybody is going to be, have a wireless hands-free microphone for me. For sure. Uh, for sure. But for my stand-up comedy sex ed, I must have that cause I need both hands. Yeah. <laughs> I went out to why. Right. <laughs> okay cool so yeah I, I get that we all have we all have our own things that are more naturally comfortable for us and, and i just it was just making me think what you're saying there yeah a, a client i've been working with recently um you know trying to get her started with doing video and uh, and she's more comfortable walking around than she is sitting down doing videos i said okay we'll go and do that and uh you know i'm very comfortable in pretty much any uh, format now because I've been doing videos and podcasts and mm-hmm. all this other stuff for so many years that it doesn't really phase me anymore. As I, I've gotten over what I look like on camera. I've gotten over what I sound like when I hear my voice back. And the, the things that most people um, are only really uncomfortable with because they're not familiar with it. And like most things, uh, if you're not used to doing it, anything you're not used to is going to be a bit uncomfortable, but only for a while. And then it gets comfortable. And then when it does, that's when you start to get into these sort of flow states and, and things like that. But I'm, I'm wondering what, what advice you could maybe come up with for someone who's thinking, I'd like to try and be a bit funnier at least. I want to give this a go and maybe have been terrified like you were uh, after having had, bombed the first time you uh, did stand-up comedy. What advice would you give to people? Uh, don't start with your friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst. Uh, They will either laugh at stuff that is not funny to make you uh, feel good, or if you've got my family, they will purposely not laugh at things that are funny because you think you're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's good advice. Yeah, I I can remember many times growing up, my dad saying to me, oh, you think you're funny, do you? So yeah, I, I can imagine that that would be the same if I tried to impress him with my comic stylings. It would be probably a similar conversation but uh but he's much gentler about those things these days so he was my, he's, my mellowed out. Daughter, he's mellowed my out mid- in his old age yeah my middle daughter is not gentle at all if i say something and make myself laugh because if i say shit that's funny i'm gonna laugh she's like i'm glad you think you're funny <laughs> oh, i hate you <laughs> um, well, put, put her on the stage and see how she gets on then yeah no that's not going to happen. Just me, me and my youngest are the only two that will ever be on a stage. Yeah, the yeah. rest of them are just like, oh, that's for you. Um, yeah. It's not. It's not everybody's design to do that. But uh... God, I'm just trying to think how how do you go from, you know, if you want to add a little something, you might ask other people for help. 
So if you are not naturally funny, so there's one thing that comedians can do for each other uh, and they will, it, it's very important that you ask permission. You can, one will say to another one, um, can I offer you something? I thought of a tag, would you like it? Never give it to them without their permission. Uh, and sometimes they'll say yes and sometimes they'll say no. Like I had one say, no, this bit is solid for me. I don't give me anything that'll mess me up. Hmm. Um, and other comedians would be like, yeah, what do you got? And you give it to them and then they either accept it and they use it or they don't. And you can do the same thing. You can say to somebody that you trust, uh, where can I have a moment of levity? And do where do you think that could be? Uh, and there's also, you can actually just ask somebody. There's probably comedians out there that you can pay. And you say like, right here, I need something to go up. So listen to what I've done. What do we have that can go up here? Where is there a thing that's, but it's probably better if it comes from you personally, especially if it's your story. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, most of us do have stories in our lives that are funny. We don't always realize that that they are. And and sometimes that the stories that people tell are funny were, were some of those, well, it was funny at the time kind of stories, which... which right don't work so well you need to you do need to sort of try this stuff out with people and say is that a funny story or was it just funny for us because we were there and we, or we knew because we knew the people who were involved yeah in. uh, so you know but again without practicing this stuff you're never going to know but do you think i mean you say about coming up with tags for other comedians like if you watch some of the people who make you laugh just to even get yourself in that kind of mindset see if you can come up with a tag for one of their jokes you don't have to share it with them but just to try and get into that sort of humorous mindset, see if you can come up with something that would be a good tag for, for one of their jokes. <laughs> Never even work? thought about that. Usually it's so funny because my husband, when I first started doing comedy uh, and it's that when you first start, you do the same five over and over and over and over and over until it's tight. Right. And then, and that's what everybody does. And so my husband's like, yeah, but you do the same thing every time. And I'm like, Yeah. I mean, you don't really think Robin Williams just went up and freestyled that, do you? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no. He did that in clubs for a year before he threw that up on a stage and recorded it. Yeah. But people do think it's um, it's natural. I'm usually just so overwhelmingly impressed by how where the comedians went that I'm surprised. I'm like, how? How did they go that far, like, outside? I will say that I've, I've thought of this a couple times while we were talking for the people who are not good with um, humor, you know, you yeah. can get to a part where everybody is sad and, and you like, you feel like you need something there. You could literally just say, uh, insert moment of levity here. Oh, I wasn't supposed to read that. And that <laughs> will automatically pull everybody right out of it Yeah, because the, you'll, you're just changing it you know, and they're going to, they're going to giggle. They might not uproariously laugh, but they will giggle and it'll pull them back up just enough so that everybody's like, yeah, that would have been a good place to put a moment of levity. Right. And it's more of a comic device. Like yeah. That, right. a, that an actual joke. It's just a device that you could easily use. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's definitely good advice. Have, have you ever, have you ever had like hecklers or have you ever had to deal with anything? Yeah. Like yeah. Yep. My last uh, two, the thing I hate most about hecklers uh, well, first of all, they do throw me off my game a little bit, but if I'm recording it, they usually heckle me when it's important. And so that I can never use that piece of video anywhere. Damn. So like, you know, when I'm uh, like, I'm talking about everybody wants online 
comics right now. And so we're pulling stuff out of our, our recorded content and you've got this dumbass screaming. You can't use that now. And I did have at my last stand-up comedy show, I did have a guy that was really obnoxious for probably the first 10 or 15 minutes. He kept just shouting stuff and I couldn't really hear what he was saying because he was drunk and Mm -hmm. being a dumbass. Um, and, but he, he stepped on one of my jokes. And when he stepped on my joke, I looked at him and I'm not going to say what I said because I don't want to swear on your podcast. But oh, you, You're quite welcome to. Oh, okay. Uh, I've been being so good. Uh, I said, you're going to have to shut the fuck up. And the audience dot, roared, roared. Like everybody, because everybody was tired of him. Yeah, they were on your side, yeah. And the security was in the back. They were about to try to remove him. But at that point, he got up and left anyway. Mm. Uh, I really wish I had just said it earlier because right. it, it really did throw me off my game. Cause I, and I watched the video. Uh, and after that show, I kept saying, oh, it was a horrible show. It was a horrible show. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. And then I watched the video back like a week later. And I'm like, it wasn't that bad. It actually was pretty good. But the minute I shut him up, I got my confidence back. And from that moment on for me, I could feel that I did better. I don't think people in the audience ever noticed a difference at all because they don't know what it was supposed to be. It's it's interesting because as a, as a professional speaker, I know when I first started learning public speaking skills and the likes that, that it was a big fear of mine that somebody would get up and I'd be giving this amazing presentation and someone goes, that's wrong. Or what you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, be getting some kind of, horrific audience interaction and, and in public speaking of uh, these kind the kind of presentation what i do that doesn't really happen you it would be like someone heckling a ted talk it, it right. just doesn't, happen. <laughs> it doesn't uh, happen but but for professional comedians or even amateur amateur or professional comedians um that i wonder is that is that a big fear that you just have to oh, get yeah. get used to that people are going to interrupt your stuff so so do you then do. sorry and they do yeah, well, they I, do. I guess they think people, they're part of the show and right. they're drunk. When, when people get drunk, they think they're funnier than they really are. Right. So they think that I have the, the cleverest thing to say to you. Let's just shout it out. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I can imagine now if I, if I was doing a, if I was doing a stand up comedy show and somebody would ask me, I would hate them <laughs> right? yeah. instantly. Yeah, I no, you do. Them. You have to hate them. And some yeah. comedians handle it way better than, than others. Like, I. I don't think I've been on stage enough to handle hecklers. Like some people just naturally have it for me. Um, it's a defensive, I'm fairly defensive as a human anyway. And so I just immediately get angry. Whereas other comedians can deflect. And I think a lot of it is just time on stage. But I remember my second, the second uh, show that I cared about, it was, a com- it was a competition and I had made it into the second round and I was one sentence in, uh, and this this guy said bullshit because I I start with a fact that guys don't like because it's yeah. again it's coming right out of my sex toy world, uh-huh. and this guy yelled bullshit and it it threw me and the rest of it I just kind of started through and of course I didn't make it to the next round but now like if anybody ever did that to me now I'm like I'm sorry you have a small penis and then I would just keep going like it would but at the t- I had nobody had ever done that to me before yeah and i was just shocked and so you know there's a lot you've got to build into that but yeah nobody heckles you at a ted talk <laughs> nobody <laughs> should be heckling you at a paid professional presentation 
but on on stage, and I've seen some of my some of my comedian friends destroy people. Yeah, destroy yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes the comebacks that you see professionals come out with um, are, are make the whole show. It just make it really memorable. It's like wow. At, at that point, uh, maybe that's where uh, maybe that's where some people have an idea that they are adding to the show if they're uh, if they're heckling, giving the comedian a chance to to give their amazing comeback. But uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. I'm sure. Um, but do you do you feel then it's a good idea if you're going to go along the comedy lines to have some practiced comebacks or is it better just to see what happens when you get there there was uh one comedian i i was i don't know if i read it on a book or in a podcast or something and he said if you get a uh someone who shouts out at your show you just look at them and say hey i remember my first beer too quiet down you know and and it's a stock joke uh, but I, I remember one female comedian just destroying this guy. And, and I was like, I don't know that I would ever have it in me to keep shouting back at a comedian, a, a, a heckler. You yeah. know, uh, I, I prefer to work in clubs where if you shout out and you're annoying the comedian, they just remove you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what, what should happen. But, uh, but we do know that that things don't always go according to plan especially i guess in the world in the world of comedy but uh, it's always guys that are heckling me because i'm talking about sex yeah i i don't i mean of all the times i've ever seen sort of comedy videos or i've been to live comedy shows and i'm seeing heckling it has nearly always been guys few women few women but nearly always these kinds of things as like the guys who get a few beers down the necks and think they're impressing somebody (laughs) right yeah and and generally they're not but uh but fascinating fascinating to discuss this stuff with you and uh so i want to start to draw things to a close but i've really enjoyed this conversation and uh and it's it has been a really good insight and thank you for sharing so much uh, that you have with us and uh, one of the questions that i know i prepared you for this and you have i think already mentioned your uh your book already but i asked i like to ask my guests for a book recommendation so i think i know what yours is going to be oh yeah it's um you are a badass at making money by jen sincero and also you're a badass same same author i mean it's getting out of your own damn way and i know that's what finally like stimulated me to move to this this next thing that i want to do uh there's a lot of fear involved in like you said especially talking about sex and because my education comes from basically 13 years of just talking to women about sex and selling sex toys i don't have a degree i don't have a certification i don't have anything i just have conversation and so and then i'm like all right well what makes me think i can go up against somebody who's got a degree or a master's or a phd in sex and then i remind myself it's because i'm funny yeah if uh, <laughs> before we get your closing thoughts and uh, uh i'm very much looking forward to, <laughs> to that because i think you have one of the best bits of advice that a guest has ever given but um before we get to that uh, if somebody wants to see more about you, maybe follow like what kind of shows you're doing and find out more about you, what's the best way to to do that? Uh, you can find me on uh, um, Instagram at standup comedy sex ed. Uh, my website, uh, I have two. I have RaylenTaskowski.com. That's my speaker website. Standup comedy sex ed is my comedy website. And then I'm always posting on YouTube. And my channel is just Raylene Taskowski and all my podcasts go there and all my comedy bits go there. And 
just other random stuff. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes for everybody. And so we come to the, some closing thoughts for the show today. So Raylene, what's a closing thought that you would like to leave our audience with? <laughs> Use lube. <laughs> it makes everything better. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's uh, one of the best bits of advice you could ever be given. Use lubrication. It's um, a, profound in its simplicity. Exactly. Raylene Tascazzi, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a joy to chat with you. And uh, I think we've all learned something today. And hopefully everyone's going to go out and check out your book recommendation, check out, uh, buy some lube, and check out some <laughs> of your comedy material as well. Raylene, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to like and subscribe. And if you can, leave us a review. It's very easy with Apple Podcasts. Whilst you're here, why not download a free copy of my new ebook, The Five Key Beliefs of Bulletproof Business Speakers, available from presentinfluence.com. This is one of my very last episodes for 2020, but don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We will be back in 2021 with plenty more episodes and amazing guests. Whether you're a new listener or you've been tuning in for a while, thank you. Thank you for making us part of your journey. And my hope is to be able to continue being of service to you through this podcast and some more new shows that I'm planning, more information on those coming soon. I look forward to joining you again on the next show. See you next time and happy new year.